Gracious Lord, you are so good to us, and we don't have 10,000 reasons, Lord. We have an infinite amount of reasons to bless you. And God, this morning, we've gathered here, we've sung songs to bless you, but right now, God, we would ask one thing, that you would speak to us. God, we live in a time and a place where we are very afraid. There's a lot of fear. And so, God, right now, I just pray that your spirit would come and fill this place and fill our hearts and fill our minds. For everybody here that knows you, Lord, would they just have an incredibly familiar experience where Jesus comes and speaks to us as a friend. And for those here that maybe have not quite met Christ today, Lord, would you, through the power of your spirit and through the teachings in Scripture, would you introduce yourself to them? And God, would we leave this place today knowing that we can have peace and that we can live lives that are fearless because you are with us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we live in a time that is full of fear. You just have to watch the news and you know that we are afraid of many things. We're afraid of nuclear war with North Korea. We're afraid of trade war with China. We're afraid of diseases but we're also afraid of their vaccinations. Just about the time we were not afraid of the recession, now we're supposed to be afraid of inflation. Uh, people are afraid of failing, and yet they're also afraid of succeeding. Uh, there's a lot of things we're afraid of. Uh, recently, this week, my son and I, we took an amazing trip to Washington, D.C. for his fifth grade field trip. I mean, what a great field trip. And I had been there before as, as a child, and I was overwhelmed about how much more alert, I think that's the positive word we're supposed to use, how much more alert we are uh, in our nation's capital. Now, you don't get to just walk into the Smithsonian, you have to go through the magnetron, and you have to pass your bag through the thing, and there's signs that say, you know, be alert, and, and if you see something, say something, and, and, you know, there's a lot more machine guns in Washington, D.C. than there used to be, and... I remember standing outside of the White House, and we were getting pictures taken of the class there in front of the White House, and, and they had taken a big group photo, and then all of the families were kind of breaking off and taking their photos, and this lady and I looked to the ground, and we both saw it at the same time, and like had this audible gasp, we looked, and there were two unattended bags, like right there with jackets. Now, I know what happened. Those bags are full of like granola bars and water bottles, and some fifth grade kid was like, I don't need this anymore, and like threw it there so that they could take some pictures, but all she and I both knew was like that if we left and these bags were unattended, that there was going to be a major security crisis about to take place, and I know that because in years past, they have actually said that the thing got evacuated because somebody left a bag, and they had to, you know, come back at another time because there's protocol, and the SWAT team, and the bomb guy, and the dog have all got to come in, and make sure that that is, in fact, a granola bar and not something else. And really, I get the idea of heightened alertness, but I think the word we ought to probably call it is fear. And it's one thing if it's in Washington, D.C. I mean, we sort of understand that there's maybe some, you know, increased threat there, but I see it in our own lives as well. You know, we, we've, it seems like we're a lot more vigilant and we're a lot more afraid. And, and really, I think, honestly, we would say it's kind of exhausting to live in a time and a place where we're afraid of so many things. And it's no small wonder to me, and it shouldn't be a wonder to you, that Scripture's probably number one command is this. It's don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. 
This is what God says to Joshua when he's going to come into the promised land. This is what the angel says to Mary when he's about to give her the good news, the best news, the greatest news of all that Jesus is going to come into the world. He says, do not be afraid. Why does God have to say, don't be afraid? It's because we're just fearful people. Chapman University, not that long ago, did a a survey of what America fears most. Uh, We'll put it on the screen, the top 10. Here you go. Number one, corruption of government officials. Number two, uh, American Health Care Act, Trump Care, whatever you're going to call it, that's that's the thing we're afraid of. Uh, Third, pollutions of oceans, rivers, and lakes. Pollution of drinking water. Uh, Not having enough money for the future. High medical bills that the U.S. is going to be involved in another war, global warming and climate change, North Korea using weapons, and air pollution. Those are the top 10 things Americans are afraid of. I took those top 10, and for those of you that are friends with me on Facebook, and, or you follow me on Twitter or wherever, uh, I was asking you, what are the things you're afraid of? I got some really great um, other answers written in. You have to go look those up. Some of them are pretty funny. Uh, but here was the top three that, that in my unofficial poll, here's what we came up with, was we are afraid of not having enough money for the future, number one, and then number two, tied, and these three were the far and away the biggest fears, uh, was corrupt government officials and that the U.S. will be involved in another war. And really, it just goes to show that wherever you live, whether you fear, you know, air pollution or water pollution, or whether you're afraid of not having enough money to retire, that if you save enough money to retire, that the government will take it away from you, um, any of those things, we are all afraid of something. And so here's what I'm really hoping we can do over the next five weeks is that we can look at the words of Scripture and try to figure out how is it that we can live a fearless life. But today, it's kind of a downer. I want to talk about why is fear a problem? Because I think there's some of us that are going, well, you know, we just, we're afraid, and that's just how it is, and that's how it's going to be, and that's just life. I don't think it has to be. And I think if we could really see what the problem that fear is for us, I think we would be much more eager to let go of the fear. All right, I want to use as a case study a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is introduced to us in John's Gospel. John, one of the 12 apostles of Jesus, follows Jesus around, tells the story about Jesus, also tells us the story of Nicodemus. And we're introduced to Nicodemus and his fear in John chapter 3. It says this, it says, now there was a Pharisee, this is a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader, uh, contemporary to Jesus, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night. Now, right there, John is telling us by night for a reason. He's not just giving it to us that way. We know, you know, on you know, day four, you know, Jesus had an evening appointment with Nicodemus because he was full during the day. That's not what John is telling us. John is telling us that Nicodemus comes at night for one reason, and that is this, that he is afraid of the Jewish religious leaders. He, and we'll be introduced to another guy later in the text, a guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, also a religious leader at that time, they are both afraid of what the religious leaders will think about them if they know that they think highly of Jesus. They know that if they become friends with Jesus, they can't be friends with the religious leaders, and they know that there's conflict, and so they're afraid both of the religious leaders and of Jesus. And so Nicodemus sort of sneaks to Jesus by night to have a conversation with him. And here's what he says. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. 
You see, right here, Nicodemus admits, hey, Jesus, we know that there is something special about you. We know that God is doing something amazing through you, but I can't come to you during the day because I am afraid. You see, that's the problem with fear, is it holds us back from our best. Fear holds us in bondage. It holds us in bondage in a lot of different ways. You know, the the fear of failure keeps many people from even trying. Uh, Some people call it, you know, perfectionism. They they say, you know, if I can't do it right, I'm not going to do it at all. Really what I think we're saying is we're afraid to fail. We're afraid to fail. And I don't want to do it if I can't be guaranteed of success. But here's the thing. This is life. And you will both succeed and you will fail. But are you going to let your fear hold you back from trying? The fear of being hurt keeps many people trapped in a prison of loneliness. You want to be friends with people. You want a relationship, but you're afraid of of being hurt. And so you just hold yourself in a prison of isolation. Fear keeps us in bondage. Not only that, but fear leads us to do many things we wouldn't normally do. I've never met anybody who says, you know what, I made a bunch of decisions when I was afraid, and I'm really proud of those decisions. Fear leads us to make decisions that aren't consistent with who we are. One of the first jobs I had in high school was being a lifeguard, and I remember going to lifeguard training. We're in the pool, because uh, that's where lifeguards work, and uh, those of you that missed, missed out on that memo. And uh, we were in the deep end of the pool, and this guy was, was our instructor, and he was telling us, he said, listen, if you are ever out, say, with family or friends, and maybe you don't have all of like, you know, your, your floaty thing with you, you need to be careful because people that are your friends, your neighbors, you know, maybe a brother or sister or a cousin or, or whoever, if they think they're drowning, their fear will lead them to do things that they wouldn't normally do. He said normally what happens is, is one person starts to drown and a person goes out to save them and then two people end up drowning. Because what happens is this person who's afraid of drowning will just bear hug, will grab whoever comes out who's floating. Anything that's buoyant, they're going to grab a hold of that person and they're just going to hold them and they're going to think that they're saving their lives, but what they're doing is they're really drowning both of them at the same time. This might be a person that would jump in to save you, but if you came out and they're afraid of drowning, they will do anything they can to stay above water. He says sometimes people will try to stand on top of somebody in a deep lake in order to try to get up out of the water. He said, so the best thing you can do is just sort of dive deep if that happens. Just go down and take them down with you. He said, because eventually they're going to let go. And then when they get tired, then you can go and grab a hold of these people. He said, but you can't grab a hold of them while they're afraid because there's just nothing that you can do. Now, I get that our fears maybe don't lead us to do that kind of thing in everyday life, but how many times have you had an interaction with somebody where fear leads you to do something that you're not entirely sure that was consistent with who you are or who you want to be? I mean, just how many times have you lied because you were afraid of what the truth being told would mean for you? Friends, fear keeps us trapped in a prison of falsehood. It keeps us trapped in a prison of of apathy. It keeps us trapped in a prison of isolation. And the greatest tragedy of fear is that we don't have to be afraid. Jesus came, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the, what's that word there? By the fear of death. By the fear of death. Friends, we don't have to be afraid. 
Not only does fear keep us in bondage, but it keeps us from connecting with other people. It, it keeps us from trusting other people. Now, in our house, we like to play board games. We're, just, we're board game people playing people. That's just who we are in the Williams house. And we, we'll play different games at different times. And, and if you've ever played games with us, you know that there is somebody in our house that usually wins, and it's not me, okay? I'm not the winner. I like to play. I'm a willing participant, and I'm a good loser. I've learned how to do it because my wife generally wins everything. She just, I mean, whatever it is, she's just the winningest board game player of all history. She, so we play, and we just kind of all know Jenny's going to win. So there's a particular game that we play, uh, not often, but we play some, and the kids like to play it. It's called Settlers of Catan. Has anybody played Settlers of Catan? I know the Masons, yeah, we play this with them. Okay, so you, if you've not ever played it, you, what you're trying to do is essentially build up sort of a city, and you get points for things you build and, and things that you collect, and, and you can generally tell, looking at the board, where everybody stands. Now, here's another thing you need to know about this game. I have never, ever won. Not once. Except one time when I played with a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old. That, that was the only time. I, I wish I was making this up. I have never won except then. Playing my two sons, only time I've ever won the game. So we're playing the other night, and Jenny and me and the two boys were playing Settlers of Catan, and as I look out on the board, I realize that I actually stand a chance, that, that as I'm looking at the points, I, I think I could maybe win this game. The problem is that Jenny also noticed that I might win the game. And so here's what she did. She said, hey boys, have you seen the board here? Why don't you add up? Do you see how many points your dad has? It looks like he's about to win the game. So I would be careful what I do with him. Thanks. So the game progresses. Miles is seven. He wants to trade some resources. I want to give it to him because I'm his dad, and he's seven. And so he's like, I need some wood. Will you, anybody trade me wood? I, I said, yeah, I've got some wood. I'll trade you wood for whatever you've got. I, I'll give it to you. And he looked at me, and he knew that he wanted that, but he also knew that he's supposed to be afraid of me because I'm about to win the game. And so he is like, no. I don't want anything from you. Here's the funny part. I didn't even need to make a trade with him. And the really funny part is that two rounds later, guess who wins the game? It's not me. It's my wife. She comes in to win. Why does she win? It's because everybody else playing was afraid of me. And friends, we can laugh about this. We can. I Even I can laugh about this. We can laugh about this. But how many times are we told through the news and through, through politics and through friends that we're supposed to be afraid of those people? These are people that don't look like us. These are people that are from different places. These are people who are from different countries. These are people who have different religious backgrounds. These are people who have different ideas about different things. And gosh, we're supposed to be afraid of them. We're told that those are the people we're supposed to fear. And it's fear that keeps us isolated. And it's fear that keeps us from connecting with those people. Because we're told that we're supposed to be afraid of them. Because they're different. And I think that God is saying, listen, you're missing out on some beautiful relationships, on some beautiful diversity, if you could get past the fear of the people and make a meaningful connection. Friends, this was the problem 
for Nicodemus. This was the problem for Joseph of Arimathea. They were afraid to connect with Jesus because they had been told by the Pharisees that this was the man we should all be afraid of. Friends, who is it that fear is keeping you from connecting with? Maybe your fear is a little different. Maybe you're afraid that if you connected with others and they really connected with you and they got to know the real you, that they would actually turn around and reject you because they know who you are. And you're afraid of being found out of whatever. Whatever it is, fear is not the way to live. Fear is holding us back from our best. Here's what John the Apostle writes in one of his letters. He talks about fear and he talks about love. Uh, Let's read just that first sentence together. There is no fear in love. Friends, there's no fear in love. And God is calling us not to be afraid, but to love. He says that perfect love drives away fear. He says fear has to do with being punished. The one who fears does not have perfect love. Now, what John is talking about is our relationship with God. He's saying, listen, if you fear God and you're afraid of punishment, you're afraid of all these things, and that's what leads you to try to be good enough so that way God will love you, he says you've missed the point. He says, what we've got to do is trust in this relationship with God, that God who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come to die on the cross so that way we could be set free, not just from sin and death, but also fear. What God is saying is, why won't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? The answer is this, is it's fear. It's fear that keeps us from accepting God's best. You see, God's very best gift to us is Jesus Christ, and yet we live in a world that has so much conditional love that when God offers us unconditional love, we're afraid to accept it because we're afraid it's too good to be true. But Jesus came and lived and taught and ministered and healed and died and rose again so that way we know we can trust him and that God's perfect love can come and enter into our hearts and drive away all fear. Friends, fear is not doing you any favors. As a matter of fact, fear is doing this. It's keeping you from being your true self. There's a person I think that you want to be, that I want to be, and yet often we don't achieve that. We don't pursue that. We don't go after that because we're afraid. We're afraid of so many things. This was Nicodemus's problem. He was trapped in a prison of fear. He knew God's best and that his true self wanted to be with Jesus, yet he couldn't accept those things. He wanted in his soul so badly to accept Christ, but he couldn't go there because he was afraid. The only time he comes to Jesus openly is when he shows up with Joseph of Arimathea in John 19, 38. This verse breaks my heart. It says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one, because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. It was sad that They couldn't go accept a living Jesus. They couldn't go accept a living Savior. They couldn't go accept a living Lord. They had to settle for a crushing, despairing consolation prize of the cold, lifeless body of Jesus Christ. That was the best they could accept. Now, I don't know what happens because Scripture does not record whether Jesus appears to Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea after his resurrection or not. Uh, Tradition kind of indicates that he does. I believe that he does. 
And so I believe that in that moment, you know, it's able for Nicodemus and for Joseph of Arimathea to put those things aside and to actually come out and openly say, yes, we are followers of Jesus Christ. But I think about the three years that they wasted when they could have been walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus and traveling with Jesus and living the life that they wanted to live, but they didn't live that for three years because they were afraid. And there are some of you here that you've been held in a prison of fear for a lot longer than three years. Friends, when are you going to realize that the door of this prison opens from the inside and you can walk out anytime you want with Jesus Christ? Friends, we don't have to be prisoners because Jesus offers us peace instead of fear. John 14, 27, Jesus says this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. Here it's Palm Sunday, and we think about all the people that, you know, when it was you know, popular and when it was exciting, they accepted Jesus and they welcomed him into Jerusalem. But then, you know, just a, a few days later, on, on Friday, they're going to ask for Pilate to crucify Jesus Christ. What, what causes the change? It's fear. They were not afraid when Jesus was popular, but now when the hour is dark and the time is hard, they're afraid of the religious leaders, and their fear leads them to reject Christ. Friends, where are we going to fall on this? Are we going to allow our lives to be dictated by fear, holding us back from who we are and who we want to be? Or are we going to realize that today, yes, today, we can start to let go of those fears and accept the power of Jesus Christ in our lives, the man who's conquered death and sin and fear? Is that what we're going to do? I get this, that being fearless is a little bit of a misnomer. I understand that. I mean, you can't be brave unless it's kind of a terrifying situation. I mean, nobody thinks you're brave because you drink water out of a glass. Nobody thinks you're brave because you make copies at work. Nobody thinks you're brave because, you know, you use a microwave, uh, you know. Nobody thinks you're brave for those things. That's pretty tame. People think you're brave when you take a risk, whether it's in your life or, you know, your personal life or whether it's in your business, and, and you take a risk and you go out and, and, and you're afraid, but you live your life as though you are fearless. What, what, what gives us that power? I, I love listening to Earl McManus preach, and I, I remember a story he told a long time ago about his son. His son went to uh, church camp, and at church camp, we don't tell ghost stories. And uh, at, at our church camp, we don't tell uh, demon stories because I don't want to sit up with children all night long um, while they're afraid, and neither do any of our adults. But at some church camps, at the church camp that his son happened to go to, they do, in fact, tell demon stories. And so he came back from church camp terrified of the devil and all of the dark forces of hell that were at work in his bedroom that night. And he was just utterly terrified. And so he, he asked his dad, he said, Dad, can you pray that I will be safe? And Rowan McManus said, I had a visceral reaction to that word. He said, because there is nothing in Christianity that is safe. Jesus came and he died on the cross. That was not safe. You know, Peter and Paul, they went to their graves telling people about Jesus. That was not safe. Jesus has never called us to be safe. He said, I felt this, this stranglehold of warm blanket Christianity creeping up around us. He said, and I just couldn't do it. 
And so I told my son, no, I will not pray for you to be safe. He said, but I will pray this for you. I will pray that God makes you dangerous, that he makes you dangerous. So that way, not just the demons, but Satan himself fear you. And Erwin McManus' son said this. He said, well, Dad, then would you pray that I would be very, very dangerous? I believe that is what a fearless life is about. Is not being safe. I don't even know that that's an option for us, but about being dangerous, fearless people who live our lives filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, following Jesus to the end of the earth and beyond. And so this morning, here's what I would love for you to do. I would love for you to just say, you know what? I'm going to put aside all of my fear. I'm going to accept that amazing power of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to walk away from that. I get that that's a big ask. And and so as our worship team comes out, here's, here's maybe a more realistic ask, is that you would just be committed to saying, you know what? I have a habit of being afraid. I will admit to that, and I will admit that that habit isn't doing me any favors. And so I'm going to make a commitment to be a part of this series. I'm going to come to this entire series. I'm going to show up every week for five weeks, and I'm going to hear what Scripture has got to say about being afraid and how I can put my fear aside. I hope you'll make that commitment. But this morning, if you're ready to accept the amazing power of Jesus Christ, or if you're saying, you know, I want somebody to pray with, that God would start to release me from the the stranglehold of fear that's got, got a grip on me, I'd love for you to come forward this morning. I'd love to pray with you. If if we get people coming down, I know our elders and, and their wives would be glad to come down and pray with you. Because here's the thing. You don't have to be afraid. All fear has ever done for you is it's hold held you back from the best that God wants to do for you, give to you, and do through you. And so it's time for us to stop being afraid and to live lives that are fearless. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing this song.